thank you for the tremendous sacrifice your son made for us. Lord, that um, when he died on that cross, he did so to propitiate you, Father. Lord, that your wrath and your anger towards sinners would be covered. And Lord, that Christ who paid it all, and Father, now we stand in the righteousness that you give us. Father, we thank you for all of this and for your word this morning. We commit this time to you. Thank you for what you're going to do because we do everything in Christ's name and for his sake, we pray, amen. In Christ alone, last two weeks we talked about the doctrine of justification and the catchy phrase that goes with it is just as if I'd never sinned but that's not enough all that does is leave a vacuum the sin is removed but in addition to removing our sin we have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ so when God looks down upon us today he does not see our sin but instead he sees the coat of righteousness that has been placed upon us because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We find sermon ideas from many different strange sources. And uh, I was reading this week about Jim Wright, a name you probably don't recognize, but Jim Wright was always the orator who loved big words. And when he resigned and stepped down as Speaker of the House back in 1989, I was just a wee one, I think, at that time, after all, but um, after just 30 tumultuous months, he likened his decision to a propitiation or an act of atonement. And this is what he says. Let me give you back this job you gave to me as a propitiation for all of this season of bad will that has grown up among us. Talking about House of Representatives and the Senate. I give it back to you. Jim Wright went on to say, the Aztecs would find some unblemished maiden and throw her to the volcano. He joked later, I'm not an unblemished maiden. I don't qualify. I'm pretty safe as an Aztec. It was the moment that captured a little man of himself. Without a doubt, the Texas Democrat could be his own worst enemy. He wrote a book called The Coming Water Famine Decades Before the Great Western Drought and Climate Change Crisis of Today. I dare say this morning that there's not one in 100 people who actually heard the word propitiation before. I was telling Iris on the way to church this morning that reminds me of a funny story. Back home in northern Illinois where we grew up, we had a Danish milkman. You are Danish, right? Excuse me. We had a Swedish milkman, and he had a route on Kishwaukee Street with his horse and his wagon, his milk wagon. Well, he was going down Kishwaukee Street one day, and the horse dropped dead. But because this man with his Scandinavian tongue, 
he could not say the word Kishwaki. So he could not call the rendering works to pick up his horse. So he dragged his horse all the way to 7th Street and then called to come and get it because 7th Street he could say with his Scandinavian tongue. The word propitiation is probably not one in 1,000 who really understand what it means. It's a rare word. The last two weeks we've talked about justification and the importance of that doctrine in our life. And today, I want to talk for a few minutes, today and maybe next week, about propitiation. Another very important doctrine, folks, for us to understand. It's not used in conversation very often, but in the pages of the New Testament, the word is a key word. Six times it's used. It relates to the effects of the work of Christ on the cross. A definition is this. Propitiation means to turn away wrath by the offering of a gift. Now, uh, if you look at world religions, you discover that uh, in many of the religions, sacrifices were made to the gods to somehow appease them. For some reason, humanity has the idea that God, whatever God they serve, was always angry with them. And so they were always trying to appease him, to make their God happy. An angry God. We also know the word on another level. Here is a man who is married, and as men are prone to do, he made mistakes. Duh. And he had offended his wife. He had said something he shouldn't have said, or he did something he shouldn't have done, or he left undone what he ought to have done. On the way home from work, realizing that he had done something terrible, uh, he saw somebody selling flowers alongside the street. So he pulled over and gave the man $5 and got a bouquet of flowers. And so when he gets home, he walks in the door, and he's met by his wife. And he hopes that by offering her the flowers that he'll turn away the anger or the wrath of his wife. That's propitiation. (laughs) So husbands, when you come home and you want to apologize, you would say to your sweetheart, I love you and I propitiate. You do what? I bring in a propitiation. But in a a biblical but non-theological example of propitiation, we have to go back to the book of Genesis. You may remember the story of Esau and Jacob. We had a missionary conference, or we had missionary conference every year back in northern Illinois at the church we served for 10 years. And... uh, It was a week-long missionary conference, and it also became a month-long missionary conference, every weekend for a month. And when we came to First Free Church here in Tucson for the years that we served, we had missionary conferences. Well, one year back at the Northern Illinois, I had a speaker come out from our headquarters in Minneapolis. And um, and the topic of his... The topic of his sermon was the spoiled brat Jacob. Well, 
we had a member of the congregation, an older gal. She wasn't too appreciative of the title of his sermon. But you know the story of Jacob and Esau, don't you? How he, Jacob cheated Esau out of his inheritance, his uh, bowl of uh, porridge. And then Genesis 32 tells the story of how after 20 years, Jacob wanted to reconcile with his brother Esau. So he sent a message to Esau saying, we read this in Genesis 32, I, Jacob, your brother, am coming to meet you at such and such a time and place, at such and such a place. Will you come and meet me? So he sent out messengers with the word and back they came with good news and with bad news. The good news is that Esau was coming. The bad news was that he was bringing 400 soldiers with him. So Jacob, being a wise and cunning man, decided that he would offer a gift, hoping to pacify his brother's wrath. As we were sitting at the breakfast table this morning, I had my wife, I had Iris read to me again from Genesis 32, 14, where it says that he sent 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. That's quite a herd. I farmed or worked on a farm for many years, and some of you have as well. We never had that much livestock. And he sent all of those animals up ahead. And he instructed the one who was leading this large animal herd. He said, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all of these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau. He is coming behind us. Jacob thought that he could send a gift ahead, that he would uh, come behind, and that Esau would be propitiated. Jacob thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. I will propitiate him with these gifts I am bringing. You could put alongside of that, Proverbs 16, 14, a king's wrath is a messenger of death, but a wise man will appease it. What was interesting as I was working on the sermon and realized, of course, is that last Thursday was the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, for the Jewish people. It's the highest holy day of the year. It starts on, started on Wednesday night at sundown, as their days do, and ended at sundown on Thursday night. And our son is staying at Handmakers, a very lovely place for rehab and also a place where you can retire. Beautiful, beautiful. And it's close to our home. And so I called to find out when they were going to blow the shofar. Shofar is the ram's horn. And uh, they blow that to announce the end of Yom Kippur. And it breaks their fast, and then they feast. And they were going to do it at about 5.30 on Thursday night. And 
we had a conflict that came up and we weren't able to be there, but our son Bradley said he heard it because I had called and they said they were going to blow it from the great room at, uh, at Handmaker's. So on that Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, they would take a goat and offer it as a sacrifice. And then they would take the blood of the goat and very carefully go inside the Holy of Holies. And you have a picture in front of you, along with the text, of, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, that's an artist's rendering of it. We're not really sure. We know the measurements, because that was given back in Leviticus 16. But we're not really sure what it looked like. And don't let uh, Raiders of the Lockhart Ark fool you, because we're not sure it looked like that. But the Ark of the Covenant, they would take the goat, they would sacrifice the goat, they would take the blood, and the high priest, listen to this, the high priest, one man, once a year, went into the Holy of Holies, and he poured the blood on the center of those two seraphim that you see uh, in your picture, the two angels. And in that center, you can't see it on the, what I printed for you, there's a plate-shaped area and he would put the blood of that animal that was sacrificed on that plate in the center of the Ark of the Covenant. So when God looked down, now we're talking about Yom Kippur, we're talking about last Thursday. When God looked down back in the Old Testament times, what he would see is this offering that had been sacrificed and made. Now you know that inside the Ark of the Covenant were three things. There was the uh, manna, uh, sample of the manna that God provided for the people. And then secondly, there was a rod that had bloomed, blossomed, and that was Aaron's rod. And the third thing that was in there was uh, the stones with the Ten Commandments. Those three things were in the Ark of the Covenant. This is what Tim LaHaye writes, or Hal Lindsay, I should say, write about propitiation. He said, don't be scared by the word. It's a beautiful word that means to turn away wrath by the satisfaction of violated justice. Webster's Dictionary defines the word similarly as, quote, to appease and render favorable, to conciliate and to reconcile. Now that God has no more wrath to pour out on men, his justice is satisfied, and that all the sin has been paid for. Propitiation removed God's wrath. And that's what Christ did on the cross for us, people. He was our propitiation. And the sacrifice that he made for us covered our sins. Now, Inside that ark, of course, I just explained to you, and each of those things that were in there, the manna and uh, the, the rod, the manna represented God's rejection of God's earthly provision, Aaron's rod, man's rejection of God's leadership, and the tablets of the law was man's rejection of God's 
holiness. Now, what happened on Yom Kippur is that this animal was sacrificed, the blood was offered on this mercy seat, the top of the Ark of the Covenant, and this was to provide forgiveness for the people for one year, and then to repeat it over again and over again and over again and over again and over again. In addition to that, you know, and I don't want to go into the details, that there was a sacrifice made every single morning and every night all year. They said that the blood in Jerusalem sometimes flowed so deep with all the animals that had been sacrificed. Now, I love animals. I was going to farm for many years. I planned to do that. So the sacrifices that had to be made sometimes bother me when I read about that, that innocent animals had to be sacrificed. For what? For my sin, for the sins of the people. And so not only, folks, have we been justified when we come to personal faith in Christ, but we also know that Christ, someone explained it like this. It's a little bit of a crude example, but it's like the sins of the Old Testament saints were placed on a credit card. And they were on this credit card because they were covered. People, the sins of the Old Testament were never forgiven. They were covered. They were covered until Christ paid the price by sacrificing his blood. And once Christ sacrificed his blood, then all of those sins and all of sins now have been covered. And so justified we become when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then also Christ has propitiated us. Several weeks ago at our Saturday morning work time, uh, one of the, the devotion I led that morning, I talked about the two people, the two men that went to the temple to pray. You remember? One was a uh, Pharisee, and how he prayed, Oh God, I thank you, I'm not like this man. And also part of the Jewish prayers were, I'm thankful I'm not a woman, although that wasn't recorded in Scripture, but that was a part of their prayers. And so he thanked God that he wasn't like this man standing next to him, this tax collector, this sinner of all sinners. He was thankful. And the man, when he prayed, he couldn't even lift up his head because he was so ashamed. And he just beat on his chest and said, God, forgive me. God, be propitiated was the actual word that's used. But our translators didn't use that word because they realize that most people, that's not a word that we use on the streets today and people wouldn't understand it so that your word wasn't used. But the man called out, this tax collector called out and said, Lord, be, I ask that you be propitiated. So... The blood of the sacrifice covered the sin of the people of Israel. And on that day and for the entire year, the sins of the people of Israel were atoned for and they were forgiven. But it only lasted one year. 
but it pointed to something that was going to happen in the future. And that's what happened when Christ came. Jesus was the high priest who brought the blood in that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. He sacrificed himself for us. So this is what happened. Jesus took the wrath of God for us. And I want to give you three truths to summarize the effects of propitiation. Because Christ died, God's justice is now satisfied. The price has been paid. Because Jesus Christ died, God's wrath has now been turned away. The price for the sin had been paid. Number three, because Jesus Christ died, God's mercy is now freely available to anyone who wants it. The reason I get excited about this is because I, I, I know of people in my family who live in the fear that God is angry with them. And that's why I titled this sermon, God is not angry. He is never angry with you as a believer. You hurt him, yes, when you sin. And he must do something about that sin. Christ paid for the sin, and the reason we pray 1 John 1, 9 is not for forgiveness of our sin, that's been done, but that our fellowship might be restored. That's what that passage is about. It's about restoring our fellowship with God that is destroyed or broken, I should say, when we sin. I know some dear elderly saints who have been Christians for a long, long time. One said to me about two years ago, they said, Pastor Jerry, I'm so fearful that my sins are not forgiven. And I said, well, why? Why? And they said, well, I don't live a perfect life. And I said, no. Who does? I said, it does not matter. Some 200 plus years ago, there was a man in England by the name of William Cowper, and uh, he had a very nervous disposition, I think. So I read about William Cowper that he was bipolar. I'm not sure, but that's a term that we use today to describe his condition. His writers, biographers, write about William Cowper as a nervous problem and a depression. He suffered from what would call a form of manic depression, bipolar. One point in his life, by his own testimony, he was depressed, upset, and fearful. He said this, I flung myself into a chair by the window and there saw the Bible on the table by the chair. I opened it up and my eyes fell on Romans 3.25, which says of Christ, whom God has made a propitiation through faith in his blood. Then and there, William said, I realized what God's blood had accomplished and I realized the effects of his atonement for me. I realized God was willing to justify me justification, and then and there I trusted Christ, and a great burden was lifted. William Cowper wrote a book that we know, a familiar one. <laughs> 
I was going to sing a part of it, but I won't try. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. My friends, when we come to faith in Christ, we're justified. We have our sins are gone. And we have the righteousness of Christ upon us. And also we are propitiated. In other words, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid the price. He paid the debt. So today, we are justified and we are propitiated. Big word you learned today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you that when we plunge beneath the flood of the blood of your son, that we are propitiated. We are not only forgiven, but we receive the righteousness of your son. And to realize, Father, as I was thinking about it this week in writing, that when your son died on the cross and our sin was placed upon him, it was the most horrible, horrible thing that could possibly happen was placed upon him. So today we are justified. And today to realize that you are never, ever, ever, ever angry with us. Disappointed, yes. Discipline us as a parent, yes. But thank you, Father, that your son paid the price. So today we are forgiven. Thank you for this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen.